Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. We are getting close to the uh, the last 10 nights inshallah ta'ala. So we are now in Juz 19. And before I introduce our special guest inshallah ta'ala for tonight, just a reminder of the webathon on Sunday and inshallah ta'ala, a, um, just a note that we're actually going to be doubling up Juz 20 and 21 um, on the same day inshallah on Saturday just to give people a chance uh, to tune into the webathon fully on Sunday, inshallah ta'ala. So we're going to move a juz up, inshallah ta'ala, on Saturday as well. Our guest tonight, alhamdulillah, is Dr. Farah Islam, alhamdulillah, from Toronto. She is a, uh, a researcher in mental health, alhamdulillah. She's edited several journals in mental health. She is a Alamiya student at Mathaba in Toronto. She's taught at uh, the IOU as well as at the Islamic Institute of Toronto and has too long of a bio for me to go through. But more importantly, she's joining Yaqeen, alhamdulillah, I mean, she's one of our newest additions as well, alhamdulillah. Uh, very excited to continue to have that integration of, of Islam and mental health, So, and particularly Dr. Farah to welcome you. So welcome, alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khair. I'm so excited to be part of Yaqeen, alhamdulillah. And Sheikh Abdullah is sporting probably the flyest, mashallah, outfit he's sported since we started. Tell us, shout out who who gave that to you? Where'd you get that from? Where'd you buy it from? Uh, my mother brought it from Ghana. Mashallah. Yes, that's the best gift, man. Alhamdulillah. It's kind of like beautiful. I think at the same time, you know. So got to make his mom will get mad. You know how it is. Yeah. So you got to send your mom the episode, inshallah. Let her know you sported it. Alhamdulillah. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll get right into it with the night ta'ala. So we're in Juz 19, alhamdulillah, uh, where we are continuing with Surah Al-Furqan. And Surah Al-Furqan, because we didn't get to talk about it much last time due to the fact that there was so much in Al-Mu'minu and Surah Al-Nur, Surah Al-Furqan um, basically comes around the same time as Surah Al-Mu'minu. So this is an interesting feature in the Quran and part of the divine, uh, the divine revelation of the order of the surahs, the sequence of the surahs as well. Uh, why would a nur, which is a madani surah, clearly it is a madani surah, which speaks to the the slander of our mother Aisha radiAllahu taala anha, be situated right in between not just two Mecki surahs, but two surahs that were revealed pretty much along the same time, around the exact same time, and that is as we said that some of the ulama mentioned the wisdoms that. Had the people acted upon al-mu'minun, then anur, uh, much of what is addressed in anur, would not become a problem for people individually, as well as in their uh, their social uh, affairs. So it kind of gives us a real life lesson: implementation of al-mu'minun, or a lack of an implementation on on the part of some parties of al-mu'minun in surah al-nur. And when we get to al-furqan, subhanallah, the style is so similar. And of course, the last ten ayat, ibadul rahman. Uh, the servants of the Most Merciful. Last year, um, the last ten, night, uh, 10 nights, we actually went through a characteristic of Ibadur Rahman, uh, the servants of the Most Merciful every night. There were incredible infographics that were done as well. So one thing is the lecture, but if you want to skip the lecture too long, didn't listen, uh, you can inshallah ta'ala just look at the amazing infographics that the creative team at Yaqeen put together uh, per each episode bin the Nahi Ta'ala. And of course, I'm sure we're going to have some insights about it here. But if you consider Ibadur Rahman, uh, the last 10 verses that talk about the characteristics of Ibadul Rahman, and then you match them up to the first 10 verses of Al-Mu'minun, then you can see that they are basically an extension of them, right? So in Surah Al-Mu'minun, those who have uh, khushu' in their prayers, 
Surah Al-Furqan actually gives us insight into the dua that one would be making in the midst of a prayer in which they have khushur, in which they have humility. So the deep dua within that devotion. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions مُعْرِضُونَ in Surah Al-Mu'minun, those that uh, avoid idle speech. In Al-Furqan, the actual implementation of that, right? وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمْ الْجَاهِدُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا uh, when they are approached by the foolish, they simply say salam, they move on. Uh, whenever the, you know some gossip comes across them or idle speech comes across them, they don't bother with it whatsoever. So it's really an extension. If you compare the last ten of Al-Furqan to the first ten of Al-Mu'minun, every verse is, is a branch of what we find from uh, Al-Mu'minun, subhanAllah. So it's a beautiful composition uh, that we see of those two. Now, some of the seerah background of that, uh, Surah Al-Furqan, which means the criteria, was actually revealed the first 10 verses. So we know the last 10 are famous for the traits that are within them. The first 10 verses of Surah Al-Furqan were actually revealed um, in a, as a response to Quraysh. Uh, so Quraysh argued, why would Allah send a human prophet and why is he not bringing some of the treasures from the heavens to prove he's a prophet? So now they were asking for some of the treasures and subhanAllah, Allah sent the treasured verses uh, instead that we have today. So the first 10 verses of this surah are directly a response to the argument that Quraysh brought forth. And you can read them in that light and understand it from a seerah uh, perspective. Now, as you go on, and, and I want to focus on uh, the other surah to shuara surah to naml uh, Surah Al-Shu'ara is where I'll, I, I want to focus on a bit because it has a, a deep connection and it's all, it also introduces a unique element of the seerah uh, that we haven't really seen much emphasis on in the Qur'an just yet as we've been reading through it from uh, cover to cover. Surah Al-Shu'ara introduces the concept of the poets. So there is a lot of emphasis on poetry and the poets in Mecca in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so, of course, that's not the exclusive theme of a shu'ara. And you do have some important verses that speak to some of the incidents uh, within the seerah. So, for example, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says to the Prophet to warn your close relatives. This is, of course, in regards to the early uh, da'wah in Mecca where the Prophet was taught to start with his family. So before you go out to society, you have to start with your family. And this is the methodology that Allah gave to our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his own affairs. And this is the methodology that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave to us in regards to all of our affairs, to start with your family and to make sure that you enjoin righteousness within your home first and with your nearest uh, family members first. But then when you get to the poets uh, and the element of that, and by the way, I'm just going to say from now, Please remember, I will ask you about it tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala, when we do uh, Juz 20. So remember, there is a connection between this and a particular incident in Juz 20, uh, ta'ala, and I'll see, inshallah ta'ala, who remembers it. But when we get to the poets, al-shu'ara, who the surah is actually named after, Allah touches on it from multiple angles. For one, there is this lengthy discourse on the magicians of Fir'aun. The story of the magicians of Fir'aun, who we have spoken about, subhanAllah, a fascinating group of people that went from being Sahara to Shuhada, that went from being magicians to martyrs in a matter of a day, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about how once their trade was exposed to them, then they repented, they came back to Allah. Similarly, the message to the people of Mecca 
is that it was clear to these poets, they knew poetry very well, that what the Prophet ﷺ had brought was not poetry, that the Qur'an was not poetry. They knew sorcery and it wasn't sorcery. They knew poetry. They were masters of poetry and it was not poetry. And so some of them would respond the way Fir'aun would, where Fir'aun knew that his sorcerers knew sorcery better than him, but still chose to oppose his prophet, which was Musa salam. Likewise, Abu Jahl, who would admit in private that we know that what the Prophet Muhammad has is not poetry. Uh, he still would, would float that narrative on the outside so that he could oppress the Prophet and seek to uh, suppress his message. So the message is to those who know poetry, and that was the craft of the Arabs and the Quran outrived, you know, outdid them in every way whatsoever, that you should have the repentance of the magicians of Fir'aun, not the stubbornness of Fir'aun himself. But then there's some other elements of this, subhanAllah. So one of them, Allah just says, As for the poets, only the foolish, only the wayward follow them. And the scholars mention here uh, a few things in that regard. Uh, that the cronies that used to follow around the poets were actually very empty people. Uh, this is a really interesting one. If you think about how we fill the void that is missing in our hearts, that the, you know, think about the poets as the celebrities of Mecca, the people that would go around them and that bought into their clout and that wanted to be part of their posse and that wanted to be close to them and that would compare poet to poet and that would put on the festivals and attend the festivals essentially the concerts of the time, there was a culture to that, a culture of emptiness. When you compare that culture of emptiness and concerts and festivals and the wine drinking and you know the, the insecurity of the followers of the poets, right? The artists of the time, and you compare them to the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there's a beautiful lesson to take here. Those who believe are, are more invested, they love Allah more and the way that the followers of the Qur'an were fulfilled. You take the people of Qur'an and the people of poetry and look at the difference in the quality of those people, subhanAllah, right? Like that's actually a proof, a hujjah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is implying here as well, that those who are full of poetry are empty, those who are full of Qur'an are fulfilled. And then some of the scholars also mentioned that the poetry of the Arabs was vulgar. It was about drinking, it was about you know romance, it was about... Uh, tribalism, it was about feuds, it was a lot of dis, a lot of putting down people, um, a lot of satire, a lot of, you know, obscenities. And the Prophet Sallallahu hated that. And that's why the Prophet Sallallahu you know, he com he compared people that are filled with poetry to being filled with, with a rawness, with pus, right, uh, in that sense. Because it was the nasty poetry that the Prophet Sallallahu hated. However, the Prophet Sallallahu appreciated the poetry that had hikmah in it, the poetry that had wisdom in it, that did not contradict Islam. So, we talked about this, by the way, in, in meeting Muhammad sallallahu the Prophet sallallahu poetry uh, appreciation of Umayyah bin Abi Salt. SubhanAllah, the Prophet sallallahu said his lyrics are of faith, but his heart had no faith because he was a disbeliever, but his his lyrics uh, were were of belief. And the Prophet sallallahu could listen to his poetry and it did not uh, bother him, alayhi salatu wasalam. And then finally, the, the, the context, the uh, the comparison of righteous poets to corrupt poets that comes in the end of Surah Al-Shu'ara. So the difference between those poets who used their skill for good and those poets who used their skill for evil. So the Qur'an is distant from poetry. The people of Qur'an are distant from the people of poetry. But then those that used their poetry for good, poetry is not like sorcery, which is haram altogether. 
some shi'ir, some verses are good, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes that uh, distinction. And inshallah ta'ala, with that, I'll invite first Dr. Farah, if you'd like to share anything, inshallah ta'ala, reflection, and we'll move on to Shaykh Abdullah bin Nimr. I love that reflection, subhanAllah. Um, it reminded me particularly when you just mentioned how those of poetry were filled with emptiness and those with Quran were filled with fulfillment. It reminded me a lot of what I think a lot of us maybe experienced when we just got hit with COVID. You know, you got all this silence, this emptiness. And I think many of us had to kind of reassess, you know, what do we do in that silence? Did we just fill our lives with busyness, right? What? what how do we... Um, come back to this idea of fulfillment. And so subhanAllah, that was that was a very powerful reminder of that. Jazakallah khair, subhanAllah. Very relevant, and I didn't even think about that. So may Allah bless you uh, for that reflection. Sheikh Abdullah, take us away. You're on mute, Sheikh. Bismillah wa salatu That was beautiful. MashaAllah, very, very, very beautiful uh, insight on that as well. And, um, you know, subhanAllah, as a segue, uh, speaking about the Quran, uh, Sheikh Umar uh, spoke about this last year uh, briefly uh, in regards to um, the Quran as well. But it was a couple of verses before uh, where he was uh, speaking about the taking the, the friends or the companions that could have a bad influence on you. What I want to talk about is in the chapter of Al-Furqan, and it is verse number 30, where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, as Sheikh Umar mentioned even last year, when all of these things that the, the Quraysh were doing to him, what was the complaint? The complaint was, uh, Ya Rabbi, inna qawmi takhadu hadha al-Qur'ana mahjura. They, 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 you know, they totally disregarded the Qur'an. They avoided the Qur'an. They left the Qur'an. And that's what I want to talk about, inshallah ta'ala, in this beautiful uh, chapter of Furqan, the Qur'an. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gives a specific message for a specific group of people, but the generality still applies. With the Prophet, as they say, he was a complaint to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but at the same time, it was tahdeed, it was a threat, indirect threat to the Quraysh. Because the Prophet, when he says, as Allah says, وَقَالَ الرَّسُولُ يعني النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم, يَا رَبِّ إِنَّ قَوْمِ إِنَّ قَوْمِ My people. And that is what is, subhanAllah, is amazing here because some scholars at Tafsir, they mention when he says my people, it wasn't expected that the people that you know embark in poetry and they understand that this word is these these words are not poetry. This is not poetry, but they would still call him a sahir. They would still call him, you know, say from the Asatirul Awalin, that they they call him a magician. They would call him all of these names. And then the Prophet said, My own people, my people are saying that this Quran, they are banning this Quran. What's interesting here as well is how the Arabic is made up here. The, the form of Arabic is here. He doesn't just use the verb, Hajarul Quran. He says that they took the Quran as an object to, to avoid or something to totally abandon. Meaning that he used the noun as opposed to the verb. And as they say, meaning that this abandonment of the Quran, looking at it as an object of abandonment, whenever you see it or hear it, leave it at all costs. That's how they took it. So that is a much more eloquent and, and subhanAllah paints a, a much more intense picture when we see Allah subhanAllah says, ittakhadu, that they voluntarily took this Quran as a source of you know that which we should avoid and should totally leave and abandon. 
And that's major because subhanAllah, as we see in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in a also in the Quran, that the disbelievers that they will say, don't listen to this Quran. means to cancel it out. And some scholars say, drown out the recitation when you hear it by screaming. Can you imagine? You know, and sometimes I've heard this with certain people that convert to Islam, they'll try to recite the Quran, and then someone in their house doesn't like to hear it, and they'll scream over them, literally. They don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that message. So this is what the what they said. Perhaps you may be overpowered, maybe taken by this Quran, maybe affected by this word of the Quran. So the Prophet is complaining to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is, is jazz, is permissible to complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about this, you know the way that the Quraysh were acting with him when he was proclaiming this message of Islam via the Quran. What is important here as well is in this beautiful month of Ramadan, even though we look at the specific group of people or reason for revelation, if you will, being that it was directly, it was directed to the Quraysh or about the Quraysh, we still look at the Osaf or the characteristics that are present within them that may be present within all of us as Muslims. As subhanAllah, Ibn Qayyim rahimullah mentions in one of his books, Al-Fawa'id, meaning the book of benefit, he talks about those that abandon the Qur'an. And he says the abandonment of Qur'an is in five primary ways. The first of them is tilawatul Qur'an, reciting the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Reciting the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you recite it, it has an effect on you. So when people voluntarily do not recite the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that can be a, a shade of abandonment of the Quran. Also listening to the Quran. For those of us that you know hear the Quran and may not understand it, let's not allow the forces, whether it's shaitan or ourselves or shaitan affecting ourselves to say, well, look, I don't understand this book. Why am I even listening to it? Why am I standing in 20 rakats of prayer or eight rakats and I don't even understand what I'm, what's, being, what's being recited? So you go home and you watch television. When knowing that it probably may be even better, it will be better for you to listen to the Quran, especially in this month of Ramadan. And thirdly is acting upon the Quran. It's acting upon the Quran. And this is the most important of them, of acting upon the Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you know, mentions, الصالحات, the ones that believe and act, do the actions of salihah. What are the actions? How do we know the good actions in Islam or the righteous actions by the Quran and by the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Also, we have uh, to legislate by the Book of Allah subhanahu wa taala, tahkim bi to where whatever we use or whatever decisions that we make, whether it's even arbitrary decisions between two people, as Allah subhanahu wa taala mentions, min ahli wa min ahliha. When he talks about marital relations and there's discord, there's discord between both of them, and you find two people, one from each family, that it should be judged upon the Quran or the spirit of the Quran when trying to reconcile between people. That is on a specific level, even on a state level, uh, familial level, community level, we should look at the Quran initially, primarily when making these decisions, uh, finding the spiritual cure with the Quran, a shifa. And we made from the Quran that which is a cure. Some scholars mention from the Quran, meaning particular verses of the Quran. And some say, no, it's all of the Quran, meaning the Quran is a cure. A cure for primarily, primarily the cures of the heart. 
jealousy, envy, hatred, these diseases of the heart that if we allow it to fester and do not do anything about it, that's where it can overpower us and take us and be our primary thoughts and ultimately our primary, our behavior. And we don't want that. May Allah protect us from that. But finding the cures with the Quran, whenever you feel that sense of, of anger, turn to the Quran and look at the stories of the prophets. Turn to the Quran and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when reading it to alleviate any pain that you may be facing, along with seeking help. Finding these two together will be an aspect of you know, being someone that takes the Quran seriously and does not abandon the Quran al-Kareem. And I think we mentioned pondering over the Quran as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that the, the Quran, the kitabun that has been revealed for people, liyadabbaru ayati, to ponder over it, al-bab. And for those that are al-bab, that are people of intellect or people of, of pondering, that they will be of the ones that have the Quran as a remembrance. And lastly, I want to give this risala to myself and to all of you. You know, subhanAllah, you know, when converting to Islam or those of us that may be Muslim all of our lives and there was an epiphany, something that took place where we want to try to practice the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala being alim knows this reality. And he says in a beautiful, beautiful hadith that's mutafaqun alayhi on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha. He says the al-mahiru bil-Qur'an, the one that is experienced in reading the Qur'an and that reads the Qur'an, al-kiram al-barara. He says, or, or وسلم, he or she is with the noble scribes, being the angels. And then he said, the one that reads the Quran, So the first group of the people that are experienced reading the Quran, they receive one reward. And they're with the noble scribes. But the ones that struggle and work hard, they struggle reading the Quran. Shaq is, is hard upon them. So please, brothers and sisters, let's not forget that virtue of reciting something over and over and being corrected as an adult in your Quran class with kids. I remember this older gentleman, he said, man, I go to the Quran class with kids. It feels very awkward, but I'm on a mission. It doesn't really matter. I'm on a mission. I want to read. I want to know what Allah is telling me. And I want to learn and recite it in the most beautiful language that he is telling me, the language that he chose. So don't give up. Those of you that are reading the Quran and those are reciting the Quran and you want to know what God is telling you, Allah knows your intention. Keep that intention, act upon what you know to the best of your ability and continue pondering over this beautiful book and be of those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with, inshallah ta'ala. Radical al Jazakumullah khair. So subhanAllah, you have the complaints of the Prophet sallallahu about people not taking the Quran seriously. And then you have the people who take poetry too seriously. <laughs> You know, just the, the, the connection between Furqan and Shu'ara um, to really fill ourselves with the Quran. That was such a beautiful reminder. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Abdullah. Dr. Farah, tafadlani. MashaAllah, that was a beautiful reflection, Shaykh Abdullah. It actually really beautifully uh, segues into my my talk as well because I'm also going to be focusing on Surah Al-Furqan. And just like you mentioned, Shaykh Abdullah, those overpowering emotions and that beautiful message of not giving up. And so I wanted to start out with uh, a particular verse of Surah Al-Furqan that really hit me. Um, it's uh, verse 60 where Allah Taala is talking about the disbelievers and he says, yet when they are told, bow down before the Lord of mercy, before Ar-Rahman, they say, what is the Lord of mercy? Should we bow down before anything you command? And they turn even further away. 
And I know that the seer portion of the Quran 30 for 30 is, you know, Sheikh uh, Omar's thing. But I did want to mention that uh, there's a particular incident from the life of the Prophet وسلم, that is mentioned in the books of Tafsir in relation to this verse. And I'm sure all of you remember um, that during the writing of the Treaty of the Hudaybiyah, the Prophet وسلم, asked the scribe to start off the document by writing, you know, in the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And the disbelievers just, you know, balked at that. They were like, you know, we don't recognize these names. We don't know what Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim is. You can't put that into the document. And so those beautiful names of Allah Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim had to be stricken out of the record. And so I want us to pause and reflect, you know, disbelievers aside, I want us to think about times when we fail to see Allah as Ar-Rahman. When do we fail to see Allah as the Lord of mercy, the one of all encompassing mercy? And the thing is, you know, we do it all the time, subhanAllah. And I'm going to try to illustrate that with a story. Um, so my husband took off the training wheels off of our son's bike. And we've been trying to teach him how to ride a two-wheeler for the first time. And so a little guy, you know, he falls down once, twice, five times, six times, 12 times. And then suddenly, you know, becomes so agitated, so angry, becomes like a mini Godzilla, you know, shaking his little fists up and, um, you know, destroying everything in his way, kicks, you know, kicks his bike to the side and, you know, starts saying things like his life is horrible, his life sucks and nothing good has ever happened to him. And the thing is, we laugh at that because it's cute and humble. like kids are so wonderful, mashallah. <laughs> but the thing is, we do this as adults as well, subhanAllah, right? It's um, it's like we um, it's it's like the the bad, the bad starts to snowball in our lives. And it feels like we never knew any good. You know, everything can be fine, and then suddenly, bam, you know, COVID hits. We're suddenly in the midst of a lockdown and a pandemic you know, just situations that we've never experienced before and trying to navigate through uncertainty that we just don't know how to handle, subhanAllah. And then maybe, subhanAllah, you lose your job. Maybe you start to see your loved ones, your family members, your neighbors start to get sick. And then just when you think that things possibly cannot get worse, the unimaginable hits you. You know, you're hit with a loss or a grief that is so devastating that you don't know if you'll ever stand again. And so during these past couple of months, I've been learning a lot about grief. And, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, tells us in Surah Al-Asr, you know, you know, indeed, mankind was created in loss. You know, our lives are about loss. There are all these moments of grief that we go through. And, you know, what I'm particularly appreciating is that grief has all these different shapes. And, for example, you know, there is complicated grief where we get stuck in this space of grief and we're unable to sort of move on and able to really fully grieve. And there's also what I think is so interesting. There are all these shades of grief that have actually nothing to do with death or put another way, there are all these different kinds of death that we experience throughout life. For example, there's the grief that we face when our marriage falls apart. There is the kind of grief that we face when 
we leave behind the only home that we've ever known. And so that's a lot, for example, of, of what my research focuses on, this idea of, you know, what is the mental health impact of migration? What does that do to a person to have to leave behind the only home they've ever known? And so all of us have at one time or another stood on this shore between, you know, the life that we once knew, the life where we felt safe and secure, and then looking forward at the prospect of a very new and very scary future and not knowing how to take a step forward, right? Because once we do that, you know, we don't know, we, we're looking back and we're thinking that, you know, everything we once knew has been shattered, right? And so our grief, our sorrow, our hatred, all of these very powerful, overwhelming emotions and our hardships have a way of making us forget that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ar-Rahman. He is the Lord of mercy. And I get it. You know, those moments are so difficult in our lives. How do you see his mercy through your tears? And so, but like the little boy who falls off his bike and learns to get back up again and is stronger because he learns to get back up, we too uncover who we are when we learn to pick up the pieces and stand up. And that's what makes all the difference. And so in this uh, field of grief and grief counseling, a lot of the work of Pema children is, is thrown around. And there's a particular, ver a particular quote of hers that I really like where she says that only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over again to annihilation can that which is indestructible in us be found. And so if we take this a step further, our hardships often destroy everything we once knew. And in that complete annihilation, it's almost like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending us this very strong message. And in that, he obliterates all of our attachments to this dunya and reminds us very powerfully that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is eternal. He's the only one who we can actually hold on to. And in Surah Al-Furqan, again, Allah reminds us Put your trust in the living, in Al-Hayt, who never dies. Because everything in this life will perish. And when we're in the midst of grief, we need to remember that our pain too will pass. Or at least it will change and continue to shift. And, and uh, you know, for those of us who have gone through grief when we lost a loved one, you know, we never really fully get over it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a process that stays with us all our lives. We grieve all of our lives. But that pain changes and morphs throughout, uh, throughout our lives. And what we remember is that the one who never dies, the one who is ever living, the one who we place our tawakkul, our trust in, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he'll never let us go. That is the part that is indestructible within us. You know, our rope to Allah, our connection, our bond to our creator. That is what we find through our hardship. And there are, other, there are also other times when we don't recognize Allah is Ar-Rahman, where in a way we effectively wipe out the name Ar-Rahman from our record. Mm -hmm. And that's when we believe that our sins are so great that there is no way that Allah could ever forgive us. 
that we could never be worthy of his forgiveness. And the thing is, you know, I tell myself this first, and Ramadan is such a powerful reminder of exactly this. We have to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-ghafoor. He is the forgiving one. He is al-afoor, right? The pardoner, that beautiful dua that we say throughout Ramadan and in Laylatul Qadr, you know, right? He pardons, he is the pardoner. And so powerfully, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ar-Rahman. He is the Lord of mercy, the one of all encompassing mercy. And he gave us this beautiful month for exactly that, so that we can draw close to him, so that he can envelop us in his mercy, so that he can forgive us. And I want to end with another beautiful verse from Surah Al-Furqan, verse number 70, where Allah beautifully says, Except those who repent, who do tawbah, who believe and do good deeds, God will change the evil deeds of such people into good ones. He is most forgiving, most merciful. So increase your tawbah, your repentance, and your dua in this beautiful month. Call upon him. Call upon Ar-Rahman. Plead with your merciful Lord for his forgiveness. The Lord upon whose throne it is written, my mercy overcomes my wrath. My mercy overcomes my wrath. Plead to the Lord who is so merciful that he would not just obliterate your sins, but he would transform them into good deeds. How amazing is that? SubhanAllah. Ya Rahman, Ya Rahim, we ask you by your infinite mercy that never abates. Please forgive us in this most blessed of months. Ameen. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullah khair. Sheikh Abdullah, I could hear you in the background. No, no, you, you had us captivated truly. And um, inshallah, not in, um, you know, we talked about good poetry versus bad poetry. That was good poetry, alhamdulillah. <laughs> that was very poetic, alhamdulillah, and kept us captured, alhamdulillah. Um, but but I, I hope, inshallah, the message resonated. There's so much in what you just said. Um, I can tell you right now what we're going to do is we're going to clip everything you just said, and inshallah, we're going to upload it as a separate lecture, inshallah. That's what I was about to do. That we can all go back to, inshallah, ta'ala, um, you know, to really reflect on. So, jazakumullah khayran for those powerful, powerful, powerful reflections. And I mean to your powerful du'as as well. And um, very happy to have you join Yaqeen as well, inshallah, ta'ala. I know that... Um, we're going to be getting a lot of emails and messages. When is she coming back? So um, I can already anticipate that. So may Allah bless you and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, how does your son ride his bike now? Is he okay now? Ride <laughs> <laughs> down. In one week, Alhamdulillah. That's great. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him. Inshallah bless your family. Um, Sheikh Abdullah, I, I know you were you were drinking that. Like, So what, what would you share? Any reflection that, that struck you? What struck you in particular? I mean, really, when she, I like how she said, hopefully, I don't know if it's a title of a book or something she's playing in the title. Like she said, seeing our Rahman through our tears. Wow, that yes. was, that was. See his mercy through our tears. Wow. That's our quote that. for the episode. See his mercy through our tears. Yeah, man. That was, what did they say? Yeah, written in gold, mashallah. Written in gold, yes, written in gold, mashallah. But there's one thing that Ibn Uqayyim mentioned, subhanAllah, that she was talking about in, in Wabil Sayyib, and it's a beautiful aspect. He says, um, Maybe that sin that you had 
is a reason for your seeking forgiveness, which is better than ba'at and kathira, which is much better than many acts of obedience. That sin was a means for you to be a better person. Because when you commit that sin, what do you do after that? And that's the most important. That's the that's the, the frontiers. Okay, I've seen that them that I've done. What am I going to do about it? So in this case, what you're mentioning, are you seeing Ar-Rahman at that time when you feel so bad from what you've done? You know, or are you going to let that hinder on you and you know just go another route? But that's that's subhanAllah. She touched on it beautifully, mashallah tabarakallah. I think Surah Al-Furqan is probably uh, after Surah Al-Rahman. I, I don't know of a surah that emphasizes Al-Rahman so much, subhanAllah. Even like before you get to Ibad Al-Rahman, that page as you're going into it, these verse verse after verse after verse, Al-Rahman, Al-Rahman, Al-Rahman. So Jazakumullah khair for the, for the wonderful reminder. A reminder to everyone, inshallah ta'ala, yaqeeninstitute.org slash Ramadan. You can download the two ebooks, uh, Quran 30 for 30 Companion Guide, the Dua a Day by Sheikh Tahir, and uh, please do join us for the webathon uh, this coming Sunday, Vidnahi Ta'ala. And not just join us, but let your friends and family join. I know we have a Yaqeen community of sorts now, especially that develops during Ramadan. And this year, we're going to be very intentional. Sheikh Abdullah is going to be online every single day after Ramadan to receive you. Uh, even the day of Eid, right? Sheikh, you're going to spend Eid. I didn't even know that. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, alhamdulillah, we have we have our community that's growing online, alhamdulillah. And uh, please, we, we know how much um, Yaqeen has meant to you and we know, and, and you have meant to us as well, alhamdulillah. I mean, we're a community um, of striving to, to inshallah, to get close to Allah Azza in the mold of our Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So invite others to join Sunday as well, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, we will be particularly talking about sustaining a prophetic lifestyle, so building on the same theme of a prophetic mission and going into the last 10 strong. And uh, we will be doubling up, inshallah ta'ala, just 20 and 21 bit nanai ta'ala. Uh, so please pay attention to that. You'll get just 21 earlier so that you can focus with us on Sunday, inshallah ta'ala, uh, with your family and friends. And Please do consider uh, continuing to support Yaqeen and Jazakumullah Khairan. Once again, Dr. Farah, uh, may Allah bless you. We look forward to having you back, inshallah, on your work with us. Sheikh Abdullah, may Allah bless you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you a garment from Jannah. Allahumma ameen. Yeah, Tell yeah. your mom, you know, that, that that that's an awesome garment, man. Mashallah. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. And great reflections as always, man. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Because just like our connection to Islam does not end with Ramadan, our connection to the Prophet ﷺ does not end with Ramadan. And we invite you inshallah ta'ala to support us on this prophetic mission inshallah. Donate and continue to support and continue to make dua for us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless your Ramadan and accept it from you and join you and us with the Prophet ﷺ in Jannah al-Firdaus.